Welcome to This Week in Common Sense, starring Paul Jacob. My name is Timothy Vercolo. We're going to be talking about the five stories that Paul writes during the week, five days a week. And starting on Monday, the five stories are Why Criminals Commit Crimes on October 10th, Insane in the Meme Brain on October 11th, Unlisted Help, October 12th, Fiscal Protector, and October 13th, Leverage and Resistance. Those are the five pieces Paul wrote, and we'll talk about them right after we play this music. Why criminals commit crimes? I'm sure this is going to be a big surprise to everybody. Uh, but the, the thrust of that is that uh, encouraging them to do so is not a good idea. It's kind of like pouring gasoline on fire. It's not very helpful. And uh, and we have a society that, that does that, unfortunately. So, uh, uh, so go read about the carnage and why criminals commit crimes. And then Tuesday, uh, Insane in the Meme Brain, my favorite title of the week. It was your title, but well, you were not sure it was going to work. But as soon as I read it, I thought, oh, this is too good because... What is there, and, and what is the... Uh, There's a rap song or rap called Insane in the Brain that uses the line yes. insane in the membrane. Which That's I right. I think right. is about basically being a wilding, a, a, a spurt of violence or a spurt, a spurt of uh, joie de vie on the part of uh, uh, inner city youth. But I'm no rap expert. I hope everybody has their French uh, dictionary out. Yeah. Um, th- this is... Uh, this is classic Hillary Clinton, who always seems to step in, step badly. She comes out and talks about that we may need to formally deprogram MAGA extremists, which to her is, you know, about half of that. It's the deplorables. We've got to get those people. And, you know, it, it's sad about Hillary, but that's probably not going to change but what's a little bit amazing is that, you know, this has been pilloried in uh, in conservative media some, but no real sense that this is exactly the, the kind of destructive, dehumanizing discussion that is just not helpful at all. If the problem is that the, the people who disagree with you are just terrible people, who maybe, you know, she's not arguing they should be killed, just held in some place maybe in Xinjiang in China and and reprogrammed a little bit. And I'm sure she would say, well, I was being light or whatever. But if if Donald Trump made a, you know, a joke like that, a joke, oh, it wouldn't be a joke. It'd be a not 24, but a 72, you know, hour uh, news cycle. Or maybe a fortnight. She didn't sound like she was joking at all. No. She was just riffing on the subject, and she said formally deprogrammed. If she used almost any other uh, adjective <laughs> or whatever, it wouldn't have been, you know, I mean, if she said forcefully, then you might have thought, well, she's being, she's being uh, hyperbolic. But formally seems an awfully legalistic or, you know, sober way of saying something, right? It also is one of those things where it's like, this is... A, a universal that we've seen when governments get to the point where they need to change people inside, inside, there's a lot of death and torture and terrible things that go on. 
and it, and it's not new to i mean there was the inquisition there um there's all kinds of tortures throughout time and people deciding you're going to believe as i say you believe or or else but that's what that is and there's there's no persuasion and and that's largely across the board but here to to reach that level first lady which of course I'm not sure she helped, but she did, you know, maybe she did in some ways. She she certainly, um, one of the reasons, I, I think the dislike of Hillary Clinton in Arkansas helped defeat Bill Clinton when he first ran for re-election as governor. He was defeated, and then he did some other stupid things, but then uh, then he won after that and, and kept winning until he was president. But she's, um, she is... A, a force to be reckoned with politically and to have been in those different positions of secretary of state and, and a uh, U.S. Senator and, and close to being president. Uh, I mean, just that sort of attitude. And, you know, people don't, you know, you hear people talk sometimes and you think, well, maybe they just got a little bit, but, you know, I don't I don't spend any time talking about formally reprogramming the people that I disagree with. That it never enters my head that that's one of the things that I might try to do. And the funny thing about it is that what is her complaint against MAGA people with you know against the, her enemies basically her, her opponents. It's that they believe she's the kind of person that would deprogram them. You're exactly right. That's <laughs> and so the way to treat them is to treat them exactly as they think she would treat them. Yes. They think she's evil incarnate and she's willing to say, let's do the evil incarnate thing. And I've seen with the Trump thing that there was, there was kind of a, of a extra backlash among the smart kids. Like the smart kids really hated Trump. It was somehow, and, and maybe it's upending all the hierarchies of, professors and business leaders and and the, the way we talk and uh he's just a ruffian and so on and and it's it's like this school marm on on acid or something that that uh um i do not want to be ruled by the academic elite or the political elite uh who was it was it bill uh, uh william f buckley who said he'd rather uh he'd rather like be ruled by the by twenty people at random than the faculty at Harvard. Yeah, well, that's that's I agree with them on that. I, uh, I think the truth is we'd all rather have sortition and be ruled by the the twenty people chosen at random, almost across the board, over anything. Right, right. She's the one who sort of taunted Trump into you know giving away his game that he wouldn't accept the results of election. I mean, that, that was a thing that was, that was from her camp. They, they, they wanted to leave that question to see, look at him. He won't accept the results of a democratic election. And then he got elected and they didn't accept the results of a democratic election. Yeah. There is this kind of twisted circularity to their, their antagonisms. They seem yes. to impute to their enemies that which they embrace themselves. Well, that hypocrisy is constantly reiterated on conservative media and completely ignored to the point that if if all you watch is MSNBC and and CNN and so on if all you read is the New York Times and the Washington Post you're you would never have been reminded 
if you if you thought the first day you heard her say something like that, you know, you you would never be reminded. It it's uncanny. It's like the uh, the IRS crisis with Lois Lerner and the conservative groups when Obama was president, who were denied uh, an opportunity to start a group to do political and and uh, social advocacy. Um, and it turned out they were overwhelmingly conservative groups and that some of the reasons were that Tea Party flagged them and caused them to like sit in some folder for a long time. And uh, and most liberal people, if they really don't like watch other non-liberal media or read it, they would never know. We didn't explain the title other than the joke, uh, but. The, the whole thing is just that's the meme brain is these are these are the memes that people live by uh yes. and and i don't think that they quite understand uh all that they're what they're performing with their memes i think that people aren't really in control of what the thoughts in their heads including our rulers and that's yeah. that seems to me somewhat problematic we do something else here which is that we do embrace uh an informal deprogramming of the status quo mindset of piling debt on day after day after day after year after year after year. And uh, it is sort of amazing. I think we mentioned uh, the debt two or three times this week just because we have to not forget that. I mean, think about when $18 trillion in debt was just really a lot. I remember the no, Trump rem president when it was yeah. 18 trillion and yeah. now it's 33 i mean it's it's uh they're not that many years have gone by yeah so yeah i remember the uh signs that said no trillion dollar debt wasn't that before reagan was yes the yes. No trillion dollar debt yes no oh. it's a it's a mess what healthy well, days uh, of yore we had uh on wednesday unlisted help uh, and this is uh, this is about uh, there's a court case out of Santa Ana, California, uh, but this is all over the country where it's sort of illegal to help the poor. Oh, yeah, that's a uh, it's just it's uh, all these rules and it's all about health and safety. But of course, it's not about health and safety. And, and especially as you so often hear. You know, the government's strapped. We can't help everybody that we'd like to help. And then we're going to spend a bunch of police resources to stop people who are illegally on their own helping people. And I think we we need a Supreme Court decision, which is just almost as sad as not having one. Um, but we need a Supreme Court decision to tell us that, yes, you have a right to help your neighbor and you have a right in public to associate and do anything that's not harmful to somebody else. It's, it, it's just insane. And I know they would say, well, it is harmful because it hasn't been tested 82 times. Look, someone does something harmful, come down on them. But if their harmfulness is we need to regulate them and control them and basically make it impossible for neighbor to help neighbor, you're ushering in a world we don't want to live in. This is one of those issues, like so many, that unite the, the left and the right in that 
it's it's just common sense. And you know, at the end of the day, uh, I think most of the people I know who I consider to be on the right care deeply about people who are poor or who are suffering. And most of the people I know on the left don't really want government to spend six times as much as it costs and do have some sense that maybe there should be some rules that kind of create incentives for people to help themselves. So it's, it's, uh, it's good to see this. This was an article that, that, uh, 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 CJ, uh, uh, Caramella wrote, and it's it, it was a great article, but it's it this underlying case that that we have to have it in the first place is just pathetic. But this isn't a one. This isn't Santa Ana got some crazy idea. This is all over the country. This is yeah, you we mentioned have three to, states or something. I think there's at least three or four communities you mentioned in peace. Yes, he mentioned several, but but it it's it's wider than that. I mean, well, I you've, he, you've been dealing with for with the for years. Every now and then yes. it comes up. Probably once yes. a year we have an article on this, right? Yes, it seems like it. It sure does, and it and it's it's the sort of thing that none of the articles are seven uh, poor vagrants in downtown Santa Ana were poisoned today by the food they received from. In other words, there's no there's no bloody shirt here for the other side to say we have to have this sort of regulation. It's it's obnoxious. It, to be honest, I think that the impetus is to protect the market share of government in the industrial uh, uh, area of helping the poor, and that that is people all because look, I make. I make my living in political advocacy and discussion and in, in all kinds of things that, you know, not everybody does. And some people make their living in helping poor people. And there's a marketplace for that, and like any other thing that, that people do and that money's made doing. And so it's it's not so shocking that people who are elected by the votes of people who work for the government might have an interest in keeping their competition from getting any market share. And it probably bugs them even more if it's being done by people for free or by a bunch of volunteers who are undercutting the whole, you know, price basis for labor. The next piece of the week, uh, Fiscal Protector, we went round and round on this one. My favorite title was your first title, which we will not share with the people. Yeah, it, yeah. it was not pornographic or anything, but it was it was suggestive and it was very funny. And we ended up, I think, with a funny one. But this this is about uh, kind of my favorite governor who I think thinks he can be president someday. And who I got to figure everybody sees through him the way I do. And that is Gavin Newsom. The, the pretty boy, savior of everyone who will save you by telling you not to go outside and to wear your mask and don't go to a restaurant, especially not with a group of people, especially not inside. Oops, there's film of me doing exactly that. Uh, but but and he does so many stupid things. It's, it's almost like uh, hard to believe. But I took a little sort Fantastic tone here because this is the story of Gavin Newsom, legitimate savior to a tiny little degree, which is 
the California legislature decided it was absolutely essential that every high school, public high school student from ninth grade through 12th grade at every public high school has access to free condoms. And, and so that's, you know, it's an important health issue. And yet here's this conservative governor um, who decides that, no, we have to look at the bottom line. We can't help the poor children. And interestingly enough, you, you know, I look at this and I think, look, if the, it, it, this just seems to me to be trying to figure out how you can give young people the right tools and, and that somehow you should do it as the government and that you're really having any impact on anything is just so ridiculous that I can't imagine anyone believes that, even them. But uh, but he said, no, it's there's too much uh, debt. There are $30 billion in debt. Now, the cost of the condoms apparently are a few million dollars uh, a year. They didn't say specifically. But it turned out that I'm thinking, wait a second, <laughs> I don't think they're getting a very good deal on condoms. Uh, but but the, it it's one of those things where he, he deserves, you know, credit compared to that lunatic legislature he's dealing with. But he's not. I think there may be some alter, alter, ulterior motive because he's not even talking any serious money the way he looks at it. And the reason not to do this is because there is all kinds of things that government shouldn't do. You may think that it'd be good for kids, then go do it. But, you know, I think almost every Muslim would say, yeah, it'd be good if you handed a Quran to every public school student. Um, you know, I think the Satanists might say that we need to get some good Satanist material just so they can look. Christians might do the same, others. Some people might say, you know, there shouldn't be any sex. So you're facilitating, you know, this sex. We're for unprotected sex. So we want to be able to give the the our our new uh, gizmo, which chops up, uh, you know, condoms or something. <laughs> I'm, I'm not just. This is all on the fly. I didn't I didn't practice this as it's becoming obvious. But um, but you know, why would you why would you think for a second? that you have a right to do this. And it's because we think we have a right to steer society in, in ways that if you really, and, and, and with abortion out there and so on, if you really believe in any sort of privacy, and that's a, a different kind of question as to whether privacy, you know, there's a lot of argument whether that's really a privacy issue or not. But to think that you would, you know, basically say to parents who don't want that that that's the way it's going to be that you would spend money doing it and that you would do it again and again all these sorts of programs none of which ever seem to work at all but it, but uh, it, and it's this is probably the one that is the has gone on the longest that has never worked but head start which is a it's a different it's not giving condoms out it's actually doing something that sort of makes sense on paper Let's get kids that are disadvantaged um, and let's get them in early 
childhood programs and they do it and and they do good right as they're in those programs and then they go to school and then they measure them again in the third grade i think and then the fifth grade no no difference from the control group you know the, these kids didn't go through it these did the numbers show it's not making any difference but it can't be caught because of course you have to give a head start to kids it's a good program it's a head start and it's you know, it's, it's, this is how, this is the silly society that we live in, that we don't have enough adults or enough ability to communicate without demagogues going off that we can't sit and discuss these things and go, oh, oh, it, oh, I hear you. Oh, you're saying it actually hasn't worked. Well, maybe let's let it do it go a few more years. Oh, it's, it's gone like 40 years now. And we've done how many studies? And it's never shown any, you know, at a certain point, you would think things like that would would change. And I think these sorts of things, the condom, it's like they say, you know, abstinence, ab, abstinence programs don't work in high schools. And I haven't seen studies on those. And, you know, it's not like I've delved through all of these research things. But I suspect that that's probably true. It's probably true that all of these programs aimed at putting some adult that these kids don't know or some programming that isn't even a person in into their faces or whatever about sex and and you know contraceptives and all these things you you're going to have a low success rate and, and the truth is, they could be great programs. I suspect you're going to have a low success rate. I think the ability to um, control how teenagers behave is is problematic. And that maybe we ought to we ought to look at programs that could be done before people become teenagers. And then, then maybe we can have we can have uh, grief counselors afterwards kind of saying, I'm uh, Sorry that your that your uh, teenage years had to die out. Well, as I understand it, uh, teen pregnancies are down around the country. They are, and STDs are down across around the country. And the reason is is that sex, sexual activity, is down around the country in most age groups, and from previous times. And I think this is caused by a number of things. We know that sperm counts are down, and testosterone levels have been collapsing along with them. For decades now in the first world and now the third world and this is an amazing thing and i don't know if it has anything to do with trans but trans might actually just be a offshoot of that general problem and now we have the opposite problem than condoms and and all this stuff we have the problem of uh we have an interesting dysfunction in society and the, the birth rate is down so I don't yeah. know. It, it seems like it's it's down the, all over. It's down yeah. all over too, yeah. especially yeah. in the developed world. But yeah, and so I would say this is fighting their last battle. The generals are often the, one, the ones accused of of mastering the tactics of the last war, but not the, the current one. I think that might be the case here too. Uh, yes. But it is it is amusing to note that uh, oh, you did by the way call uh, Gavin Newsom a conservative, but you put that in quotation marks when you were saying it. And right. you were being ironic, so that's uh, I thought I mentioned that, especially for our audio uh, audience that may not have noticed the uh, uh, quote the finger quotation marks that you placed up. They so didn't they, hear the wind, the no, wind right. from my uh, from my fingers. 
<laughs> now, um, today's piece that we're recording on uh, October, Friday the 13th, and it's about the resistance in Republican ranks, is what it says on the blur of beer. Uh, leverage and resistance. So this is about, oh, this is about the Speaker of the House piece. This is about Speaker yeah. of the House. <laughs> and, yes, and we, and we covered it last week, too. Uh, sometimes it's we, easy to forget about the, what's going on in Washington, D.C. when it's just politics. You know, there are a lot of different stories that run through these stories. And we tend to get one of them over and over and over again, which is the mainstream narrative and and so you don't get any of the side stories, but um, Representative Thomas Massey um, uh, from Kentucky, who is interesting. I don't always agree with him, uh, but I do oftentimes. And he seems to be willing to speak to things that most politicians scurry away and, and don't talk about. And he mentioned, you know, there's there's a lot of hand wringing that that folks wouldn't go with Scalise. Uh, who was sitting, you know, next in line? And it, it look um, the way that this is presented, and I think there's, I think there's, you know, there's some validity to it. The Republicans are pretty dysfunctional, and it doesn't look good for them. And so you kind of, at a certain point, think, get your act together, and let's go with the best guy that you can go with, and go because it makes all of you look bad. But um, he points out that that uh, uh, McCarthy in this deal, which upset a number of people, not not uh, Massey, because Massey voted for McCarthy, who was the previous speaker who was voted out. And uh, and I think it's the first time a party has ever voted out as speaker. I'm pretty sure that's the case. Yes. And uh, anyway, um, Massey points out that there you just have too many people in this caucus that if you're not, if if they aren't for sure that you're going to defend that thing that that McCarthy got, and that they as a caucus supported, and I'm sure there were some people in the caucus who didn't, didn't like having to support that thing, so they're upset. But Massey's saying obviously he did like it. He did think that that justified making this deal, and what it was was a one percent reduction in spending. And uh, that's huge. Now, I'm not sure I'm with Massey, and then I'm not sure I believe that just because you passed that and it says 1%, and even if the Senate did it, and even if the president signed it, that that 1% savings will ever actually show up. But, um, but it's very interesting, and it's legitimate for people to say, look, we look bad. The media is saying we're dysfunctional, everything else. But I don't just have to say yes to whoever they, you put up uh, unless you're willing to say, yes, I'm going to defend what we fought and won in that battle. And maybe you didn't like the way the battle happened or what we got or what we didn't get. But I want you to fight to defend that 1% reduction in spending. And uh, you know, it's hard for me to really be mad at somebody. Who's standing up like that? The other thing it points is to the Republican nature of our government. I am a small D Democrat because I believe the majority should rule, but I'm also a small R Republican because I believe you need Republican stops to run away majority rule. And the Republicanism comes from not just constitutional restrictions on government. Because the problem is, 
if it's not better systematized, then you've got these wonderful words about all the things the government can't do. And then you got some government court that says, oh, that wasn't really a problem. Oh, that didn't fit the definition of what they can't do. And, and reinterprets it all to where, you know what, they really can do whatever they want. When you have systems, this is like term limits, where the people aren't in Washington for 40 or 50 years or 30 or 20. And so you don't have the same kind of apparatus built up. That's a Republican way to, to and, and you could say, well, democracy is just elect the guy for as long as anybody wants to elect him. Um, having stops where, like the filibuster is a Republican, uh, not large R, small R Republican uh, mechanism that says, you know, if someone's willing to stay up for enough hours, maybe we all need to, even though we had the votes to pass it, maybe we all need to listen. And it's the Mr. Smith goes to Washington. And of course, people go, well, we can't have people doing that all the time. Well, you know what? They don't do it all the time. Because if you do it like a jerk, when it's not necessary, everyone looks at you like you're a jerk and you're going to get voted out next time. There's there's that sort of uh, Republican response that we need. And uh, and there's been a lot made that with what's happening in Israel, that, you know, we need a speaker and a Congress. And the truth is, I don't think that's really accurate. I don't think there's been any problem caused by what's going on. And again, I'm not saying, oh, we shouldn't ever, you know, we should just leave it like this or that the Republicans look good. They look terrible. But the, the truth is Republicans and Democrats are terrible. So that's not that's not the surprise. The good part of it is that some people are standing up. And uh, and I happen to think that that Jim Jordan, not that he's perfect or the greatest guy in the world, but I think he'd be a, he'd be a, a, a step up from Scalise and from McCarthy. Um, so anyway, you know, it'd be interesting to see how this plays out. Uh, I think if I think for most people, um, they really don't care because it, it doesn't. It, it, the moment moment it affects them, they'll care a whole bunch. But right now, I don't think it affects anybody. So I don't think many people care outside of the, you know, little Washington, D.C. set. You know, Massey said they actually got, for the first time ever, a 1% reduction uh, in spending a concession, any concession other than piddly little, you know, pork kind of concessions yeah. uh, in the continuing resolution uh, manner of doing budgeting, which is the which is the modern manner of doing budgeting. Right. Uh, you explained it to me yesterday, and I keep, and I've I've understood it before, and I keep on forgetting because it's not how you think the government works, but it's how government works. Anyway, um, yeah, um, so they got they got a reduction, but like you said, I don't know if it, whether it was a one percent over the previous year's uh, budget or one percent over their projected big budget. It may have a, been a one percent out of off of the baseline, which of course is a is a four percent increase or six it's always but a little bit tricky what was it that the, i think it was the tim penny and and somebody else was behind it Rand paul pushed it some when he first got to the senate it was a one percent increase in federal spending per year and uh and so you're holding it down to one percent instead of the natural natural which is what they think well it's good we need to spend more every year um, and there's a certain amount of inflation and so on. This was saying it's only going to grow by 1%. And, 
and you literally would get to a balanced budget depending on exactly what economic activity there was year to year and so on, but that it would be with economic growth and so on, if you could hold spending down to a 1% increase, um, they were projecting like that in 10, 15 years, you'd, you'd basically be at a balanced budget. And I don't, I don't know if all that's true, but I do think that markets would react very uh, robustly to the sense that somebody was actually counting and, and paying attention to who owed what to whom and whether you know we wanted to sanely think about our financial future or just what the heck they're doing it in Washington. I'm not. They're not raising my taxes. I know that, but boy, we're spending everything we need to spend. Guess it's okay. I have the you know one of the problems that many libertarians have is that when you talk about a one percent reduction in you know future spending, it just doesn't seem on the surface like the kind of contemplated reductions that I think of. You know, the, 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 what I contemplate is like, let's get rid of the Department of Education this year and next year we'll get rid of the FBI. And the year after, the, you know, we just go down the, once a year, you, you you do a major reduction. And I mean major, just just fire everybody involved and and uh, and repeal all the laws associated with it. Like every law associated with education by the federal government, just repeal them all. Everything, everything, the whole thing goes. Uh, I even have more clever ideas, but that's beside the point. It's just that that's the kind of thing I like to <laughs> contemplate. Uh, I like to contemplate that kind of thing. And then so a 1% reduction does seem rather weak. But, you know, it's what it, we got. It, it does, but but if you, it's kind of like someone says, hey, we're hoping to win tomorrow's game by one point. And you kind of think, well, you know, wouldn't you want to win by more than one point? And if you win about half your games, they might go, well, that seems like a low goal. But if you've never won a game, if you've never reduced it, a single iota, <laughs> you know, not one point, but a billionth of a percent of one point, then all of a sudden it seems like good news. And and I've kind of given up on that, that libertarian, you know, hey, we the whole country kind of saying we were all wrong. You guys do it, and and then they might support that. But but it's and and I think about things like the FBI. We're in a, in a time in a in a world situation where you're likely. I mean, I would restructure it, but I think there it'd be hard. I think to say whether certain things were. Oh, you're just re you're just redoing it. Uh, now, education, you could because the states do it. And it's completely, you know, it not only is it superfluous, it's unhelpful. So so you could cut all the laws out of the federal government and <laughs> on education. And and I'm sure someone could find one that I go, oh, well, maybe I, I'd like to see it because I can't imagine what it would be. And I would think that if it was obvious that it was a bad, you know, that it was something that schools shouldn't do, I'd like to see are there any schools in any state that are doing it by law. So um, I think that would be very easy. But a lot of it, too, is we have a totalitarian mindset. As, as I've mentioned a couple of times on these podcasts, we are the freest totalitarian society in the history of the world. And it's clear that we have a certain amount of freedom. Um, but the thinking 
is that government should do and provide everything and that anyone who's thinking wrong about anything should be made to think right. The deprogramming that we talked about from Hillary, she's she's maybe the only one dumb enough to say it that way, but uh, or who has a stage that big to say it from. But there's a lot of people who think that way. And, and we have a government that, that believes it should do everything all the time. And, and that is totalitarian. And certainly the, uh, the behavior of the government towards the major social media companies in the last five or six years has been of a totalitarian nature in that it has been, it has been in the business of uh, suppressing ideas and speech and people's access to uh, platforms. Uh, but now Canada, United Kingdom and Europe all have, and I think Australia, all have or are in the process of putting in explicit censorship regimes for for yeah. internet yeah. for internet use. Yeah. So this is this is we are entering a totalitarian period in some sense, and I think it's a good idea to fight it. It sure is, and it it is. The Chinese are doing it with less kind of less uh, uh, noticed because they can do kind of whatever they want. The media there is more controlled and so on. But our media is largely on board. So it's, it's. I mean, the, we're, we're having the same thing. It's not, it's not to the same degree. It doesn't happen exactly the same way, but it's the same thrust, which is we can't allow people to know this we can't allow people to think like this. We can't allow people to share thoughts like that. Now, when government's thinking that way, let us think about the first and most important amendment to our Constitution, which is the freedom to speak and the freedom to associate and the freedom to petition our government, which, which is basically to say, Here's what we don't like that you're doing, which sort of presupposes that we're allowed to know what you're doing and then that we're allowed to speak with each other about it and associate uh, while we're speaking. Hold hands if we want. Gee. Well, at she, I guess we can uh, wrap it up. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a G and then there's also she. Uh, Xi yeah. Jinping, and it's yeah. like it's uh, that their model is is winning a lot of places, and it's scary when you think about it winning in different places in the world. But it is the absolute scariest when you you think of how often it's winning right here at home. Mm -hmm.